I am so nervous because the size of the audience, the size of the event, the names attached to it, it's huge. At the time, I'm 17. I don't know how to deal with this. Whilst I look a million dollars in this suit, I actually never knew what to do. To get on the phone and say, oh, listen, you, you've got an hour to get in. If you don't get in, I'll be at your front door. I... I've always run a high-performing team. With my team, I'm very much a coach. I like to quiz, I like to delve deeper. And welcome to Everyday Leadership, a podcast where you get to listen and learn how to lead yourself personally and professionally through the lessons and life experiences my guests share in the hope that it challenges and inspires you to lead yourself from the inside out and not the outside in. Welcome to another episode of Everyday Leadership. Um, today I have a guest that you will have heard a lot about, but he's done a lot. And we finally get the chance to peel back some of the layers that he that he has and to hear a bit more about him, about his, his journey and his story. And without further ado, I'm going to ask my guest to introduce themselves, but tell me who you are what you're about but give me your name last okay so i'm a managing director for a recruitment agency based in birmingham uh what i'm about i'm about performing to the best of my ability and having my team perform to the best of their ability i'm all about coaching i'm all about learning and more importantly i'm all about having fun uh I love to have a laugh. Um, I want my team to smile when they work. Um, And I want the world to smile when they work. Uh, My name is Dan Braithwaite. Director, managing director. Daniel Braithwaite in the house. Come on now. Give me them titles, man. Come on. I'm very lucky. Yeah, all right, all right. Dan Braithwaite, managing director, Pertips Network Catering. Um, I am managing director for a brand that's in the Pertips Network group who are the largest independent recruitment agency in the UK. And I took directorship in end of 2018 at the age of 34 years old, uh, one of the youngest directors in the company. Um, And I've been in situ um, as a director since then, but with Pertemps now for nine and a half years. Um, So yeah, that is my short introduction. Uh, honestly, Chopin, this is a show where we both speak, but I could have like taken the lead. Then I'll do that. I'll do that. You know, what, yeah, I, I actually wanted you to. I wanted to emphasize that point. I'm glad you actually went in there. The fact that you are one of the youngest manager directors um, in the country. I think it's something that is very inspirational and aspirational. And a lot of times, either when we're in something, we don't think about it, and it's like, oh, it's just something I do. But actually, it's something that a lot of people are like, wow, like, even at that age, that's that's really, really dope. And it was interesting when I started to look a bit more into you and find out some stuff that when you were younger, you wanted to be a performer or entertainer. Correct. So, wow. Well, you really done your research. Come on now. Come on. Come on. I'm not, this is not amateur. I was going to do this, going to do this properly. <laughs> okay. Okay. So. Well, it's funny, actually, because when I think back to that sort of my early, early days, I very much was a performer. So I was raised in the church 
Um, so I went to Sunday school. My nan was a seven-day Adventist. Um, so not only was I at Sunday school, I was also in the choir. Um, I also sang in a national choir called Sanvik Choir. Uh, so I used to sing. Uh, my voice wasn't this beat. <laughs> it wasn't, I could reach these notes that I reach now. Unless somebody kicked me somewhere. Uh, <laughs> in addition to that, I also done um, performing arts, so a lot of drama. Um, but I got into recruitment at a very, very young age. Um, which kind of put that performing arts element of me to the side. But I guess I look at the the world of work as my, my new stage and my platform. Um, so, yeah, I, if I, that was my biggest passion, sort of growing up and what I thought I wanted to do. I don't believe anybody uh, before the age of 17, 18, really understands what a recruitment agency is or what a recruitment consultant is. So I don't believe it was a career choice as such. Um, I, I, It was something that I morphed back into. But yeah, my big thing was um, ultimately performing arts. I like that you know that. Not a lot of people, not a lot of people know that. But what's funny about that show is... Now, uh, or recently, I've been asked to do um, a few keynote speaking events, and I've been asked to speak at a, an upcoming event in, in the next few weeks, um, which, honestly, I am so nervous. And I'm when I say I'm nervous, I'm nervous because the size of the audience, the size of the event, the names attached to it, it's huge, and I've never done that before. But what I also know is outside of your comfort zone is where the magic happens. So when I look at all of the things that I'd done in my childhood, um, being a, a prime role for a play, singing a number of ballads on my own in a play, singing um, in a choir in front of thousands, when I look at that, I believe that makes me more comfortable when I'm finally doing those talks so leading up to it nervous yeah yeah i've been thinking about the black business show for the last month nervous that i'm talking there but the truth is once i'm probably on the stage i'll be fine um and i will put that predominantly down to your research and what you found out in that growing up performing arts was my thing do you have like um someone that you looked up to that inspired all of that or was it just the environment that you like being in? My, my auntie. So my auntie um, and her name is Sheila Braithwaite. She will, not many people know of her, but she was a, a backing singer for a number of bands. She sang on uh, BBC Children in Need, um, various different events that were held at uh, some of the BBC studios in Birmingham. She sang that. So for me, she was somebody who pushed myself and my cousins into into the arts. And as a family, we my family were, were, were huge. Every weekend you were at Nans and there was 12 of us cousins in the house all dancing, performing, doing something. So I guess what that did was build up that confidence to talk and confidence to have a voice. Um, so I've had that from a very young age. Admittedly, I was shy. I don't know how I was shy, 
when I look at my own children, I see it because my daughter is shy. My son isn't, but my daughter's shy. But as she grows, I see her kind of cling out of her shell. So I believe that was that was myself as well. But I was always a performer on the stage. Um, Joseph and the Amazing Technical Dream Co. I played Joseph. Uh, there's a number of solo uh, performances in that play. Um, and that I'd done at the age of nine, ten. So from, yeah, from a very early age, I was doing the whole standing up in front of a group of people and giving it my all, so if you want to call it that. So what's happening now, I'm just so excited because it it it, it, it ties into sort of my foundation, if you want to call it that. It's amazing for that. That's obviously come full circle now. Whether when you're talking about preparing you for you might fill into recruitment but having the confidence to go through that from a very young age and being in front of people especially going into your teenage years um there's a lot of like confidence and resilience stuff like that really really built and i think i'm curious to actually hear that when you say you fell into recruitment how did you move in or falling into recruitment and you having that background prepare you to, to step into a world where in theory, you are performing in front of clients on a regular basis. So how that happened for me? So the age of 16, um, I went to a government training provider uh, for A-levels. And I was going to do a MVQ level three in business administration, um, which would have, it was sort of like a fast track to get into uni at the time. Because I thought, if I go and do this course for a year, get my A-levels, I'm ready to go to uni. And what happened was um, the government training provider, in order to get you ready, also sent you out for interviews in the world of work. So I got sent to an estate agent's. Um, I never got that position. Um, it clearly wasn't meant for me as well. Uh, and that, I look at everything very much like that. If it's meant for me, the door will open. If it's not, it'll stay shut. Um, so I went for that interview and uh, I was a close second. That's uh, all they say. <laughs> I, was a, I was a close second at that interview. Um, and then after that, they sent me to a uh, recruitment agency. And I'll never forget. So my mum lives in London and I live in Birmingham. So I remember calling on my mum this interview it's a recruitment agency um and i did well and i got the role so my mom was like oh well done i'm gonna come up and buy you some shirts and suits and i was like yeah cool so my mom relocated to london when i was 12 13 so again not a lot of people know that about me as well that i went through that early sort of separation from my main caregiver and then had to sort of stay resilient whilst not losing track of what i wanted out of life um, so my mom came up anyway, got me a suit, got me a shirt, um, shoes, and I looked a million dollars, mate, if I do say so myself. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> what happened, Shopee? The recruitment agency that I was working at, do you remember back in the day, you'd walk down the high street and the recruitment agency would have the boxes on the wall and the job cards were in the wall? So... Um, I was asked one day to clean the box. So I've gone out. I have no issue doing busboy jobs. So I've gone out, opened the box. And when I looked at the cards, I'm like, 
oh my gosh, people put new job cards in this thing every week, but they hadn't cleaned it. We're talking years, the amount of moss and just grime. And at the, at the time, I'm 17. I don't know how to deal with this. Do I walk back in there and cuss them out? And how dare you? Like, do I give them this young attitude from the block, the ends? Do I give them ends attitude for asking me to do this whilst I look a million dollars in this suit? How dare you? So I actually never knew what to do. And uh, <laughs> I just walked away at my lunch break. So I stood outside. Yeah, yeah, this is, hey, listen. We're not perfect. I'm not perfect, right? I stood outside on my lunch break. Bear in mind, I'm 17 years old, so we're going back 21 years and 38 now. And I stood outside and uh, I gave it 10, 15 minutes. And I walked back in. Yeah, everything's done. And the manager at the time was like, okay, no problem. Go for your lunch break. When you come back, we'll find you some more stuff to do. I think at the time I'd been there about two, three weeks. So I went on my lunch break and I phoned my um, the job trainer provider, a woman who actually st I'm still very, very close with today, a lady by the name of Lynette Douglas. Um, and I called Lynette. And I said, Lynette, I'm going home, I'm going home. She's like, what's happened? So I told her, you know, it was all that, excuse my French here. Do they think I'm a Do they think I'm this? Do they think I'm that? Do they think I'm this? Um, as I never knew how to navigate the workplace at that time. You know, if you're unhappy with something or the need to express uh, frustration, I never knew how to do that. So I just walked away. And that was my first ever sort of, right, this isn't for me, but I, I don't know how to deal with it. So I just walk away. I then got given another opportunity um, at, uh, an agency called Blue Arrow and I went into Blue Arrow and luckily for me the team um, that I interviewed with were very receptive to coaching and training me because I was still going through that party Thursday through Sunday calling sick on a Monday um, and my mentor at the time a lady by the name of Claire Downs was very much to get on the phone and say oh listen you you've got an hour to get in. If you don't get in, I'll be at your front door and I'll drag you in. But when I drag you in, you'll be hangover, hungover on your desk, but I'll buy you a breakfast sandwich as well. So what she did, she taught me that to show up, always show up because we're human at the end of the day. Yeah, but I never got it. At, at this age, it was a case of, yeah, I went out partying the weekend. I'm, I'm tired. It's Monday. It's easier for me to call in sick. And what was e what was easier was for me to turn up, tell them that I'd been out on the weekend and have them educate me on the right way to behave. Um, and that's these are lessons that if I have a trainee individual in my business now, I'm aware of some of the things that may come from that. Um, and one thing I'm always willing to give that person is time because that was afforded to me. Um, and I've ne I will never forget the individual that I, I was and what made me a better individual and it was time compassion um and a bit of understanding 
of who I am. Why do you think they did that for you, though? Because it's not everyone they would do that for. So do you think there's something that you were already showing, or was it your personality? There was something about you that they recognized that, you know what, he's got something, but we need to, like, fine-tune it. I can tell you what it was. And, and this is my philosophy to even this day. Um, I'm not afraid of any task. If there's a project I want to get involved, even if I don't know what it's about, I want to get involved, I want to do it, I want to learn. Um, when I went into that business, I spent time asking everybody about the facets of their role, facets of their job, what it involved, what it meant, um, the impact of it. And what quickly transpired was I had a entrepreneurial mindset. Um, so when you are 16, 17, going into these places, from the government-funded training scheme, I think the payment's about 45, 50 pound a week. And what I started to do was I went and sat on the training for silver service, which is a style of waiting. Um, and I, of an evening and a weekend, I used to book myself into shifts. So what they knew is I worked Monday to Friday in the office, but I could see all the shifts on the system. So I registered myself and booked myself into those shifts. So I was working of evenings and of the weekend because I wanted some more money. I wanted to understand sort of how the world worked. I wanted to get a variety of different experiences. I've done washing up. I've pot washed at large events. Um, I've been a waiter. I've been a general assistant. I've been a support chef. I've done absolutely everything in the sector that I work. Um, other than actual chefing, because you have to be qualified or experienced. But every other category, barman, cocktail waiter, I've done it all. Um, so from a young age, I think they saw I had this drive to make money. And in recruitment, with all due respect, that's what it's about. It's about making money. And people say, oh, surely it's about finding people a job. I can do that from a job center where there's no money involved. However, for a recruitment agency, there's money involved. So it's that pressure of always having to deliver, always having to perform. And that, I think, was what made them take a bit more time with me and um, it was the fact that I was keen I was eager but I was also young probably still a little bit stupid um a little bit reckless in areas in terms of going out on a Sunday night knowing I've got to be at work for seven o'clock on Monday come on who does that right but early on that was that was me for a bit um and you know to God rest his soul the guy that hired me at the time he passed away, not Christmas uh, 22, Christmas 21. Um, he he really was patient with me because he didn't have to be what he was. However, his number two, who's my mentor, a lady called Claire Downs, who now, in her own right, is um, a director with another large recruitment business. Um, she, and I still actually speak to her to this day, she, I think as well, I was her protege, so to speak. So I believe he probably would have got rid of me. I think it was her. I think it was her that kept the wolf from the door. I believe that that's what happened. Um, hence why if I called in sick on a Monday, I'd get a phone call back within 10 minutes saying, well, listen, get in. Well, if you ain't in, I'm going to get in. Because unbeknownst to me, she was probably putting her neck above the parapet. Um, so I'm I'm never going to be one of those individuals that 
believe I've got to where I've got to just because of me. No, um, definitely there's been a community of people that helped me get to where I am and will help me probably further on in my career as well. Um, and I, it's always a community. There's something that we were talking about earlier on that just came back to me and we were talking about, um, let's call it likability. And I think that's something that when I listen to you talk and listen to me talk about like Claire taking on their wing and stuff like that, you 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 must have been a likable character for for them to be like for her to be like listen yeah I'm gonna be doing that I'm gonna be on your neck because you're a 17 year old kid you can get anyone in so there's you were likable and bear in mind this is 2001 2002 Claire is a young white woman she you know what I mean but she had time for me um so yeah I I likability is a key thing and. As I say to everyone, I'm amazing. I love this energy. Come on. <laughs> I'm amazing. You just, you just, you just got to check in. Check in. <laughs> check in. And there's, I've got enough to give. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, and I always, no matter what room I walk into, and I, I've done it. And I've been, I've been scolded for doing it. I've been, um, I wouldn't say praised for doing it, but commended. Because I know I'm a lot, depending on my crowd, depends on how I introduce myself into a room. So if I know a room, I'm louder because I know the room. If I don't know the room, I'm a lot, I'm a lot quieter. And when my confidence starts to come out, I apologize for it. That's what I've been scolded for in the past. But by people who know me, they've commended me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good. You catch yourself in there. <laughs> it's like a double-edged sword. It's tough. Um, but yeah, likability is key. And I always talk about it, that it's a skill that people don't talk about because ultimately it's biased. Um, yeah, I hired him cause I like him. I didn't hire her cause I didn't like her. You know, it's, you, you can't use the word like really professionally. Um, but it's there. I think the professional word for like is rapport, isn't it? We have a really good rapport. In other words, I just like working with that person. But yeah, it's um, my confidence is is one of those things that's there when I know what I'm talking about. When I don't know what I'm talking about, I'm willing to use these more than I am this. Um, so yeah, yeah. Which is a good level of self-awareness though, because there are people who are loud regardless of the environment and they don't stop and think about, okay, I'm in a different space. Let me assess. Let me see what's going on. Let me let me fall back and, and listen. They just do them regardless. So you have that level of self awareness to be able to be like, there's certain environments where I can be like, yep, super comfortable and do me. There's certain environments where I just need to fall back and listen. And then I might bring that energy in. So even being able to go back and forth, that in itself is actually a skill which not everyone has. Yeah. Uh, thank you. And I think w w where that comes from is my parents. So my, my mom is corporate professional, always has been. Uh, recently, she used to work for the uh, Her Majesty. Then she ended up working for the Home Office. Now she works for a law firm. Uh, whereas my dad is completely the other end of the spectrum. Um, warehouse background, man of the earth, um, wheeler dealer sort of thing. So I think I had a very good uh, best of both worlds kind of growing up, if that makes sense. 
I got to I got to see how how you had to be in a I don't want to say male dominated environment which warehouses were back then, but I want to say I knew how to change how I approached the room based on the audience. My dad and mum used to call it the chameleon effect. So can you do what a chameleon does, which is blend into the room? Um, now I'm a big guy, so blending anywhere is hard. And I'm loud as well. And I'm loud as well. But knowing how to position yourself and how to conduct yourself in the right environment was was a big learn for me because again, my energy is a lot. And what I had to learn is if I want to be at a director level, I'm going to have to know when to listen. Um, yeah, it's key. Listening's key. Um, we've all got opinions, you know, um, but being able to listen and listen effectively without having a, a counteraction or a, a rebuttal for what you're being told is, is, is massive. Um, and would help anybody develop. I believe that. Um, yeah, it's a it's a hard skill to master. If you haven't already, can you please follow the podcast? It really helps us grow, and it tells the apps that it's the podcast worth listening to. Which the fact that you're listening to means that it is, and other people need to know about it. An Apple Podcast. If you click the three dots in the top right of your app. Look for the follow button and click on it. And in Spotify, the follow button should be just below the show's artwork. Now let's get back into today's episode. Yeah, and um, I guess it's when you talk about even you rising to the level you've you've risen to. How have you managed to stay intact and stay you whilst rising? in the corporate ladder in a very relatively short space of time actually. So I I'm I'm an um I believe in switching off and I believe that plays a part in me staying true to Dan Braithwaite, who Dan Braithwaite is and who Dan Braithwaite was before the director of in a corporate business. Um but that I it's the rules. You have to have rules. Uh, and I understand that the older you get, the less rules you tend to have. But rules are good because it gives you structure. Um, and one of my big rules is when I leave my office, unless the call is from my chairwoman, I do not check my emails. I will not answer a business call on purpose because I've left. I'm done for the day. I'm not damn Braithwaite without the job title attached. Um, my job title is not the be and end of who I am. Um, I do a lot outside of work. Um, I kickbox three, four times a week. I go to the gym. I've got children. Um, I've got a family. Um, I've got, I always get this wrong, 10, 11 siblings. Um, so a lot of nieces, a lot of nephews. Um, I've got a lot of responsibility on my shoulders as one of the old, well, the oldest brother in my family. And then again, doing so well professionally. So you have to switch up. I I have to. It's, I think if I didn't, I'd have more greys. So believe me, this is without die. 
This is with the fact that just ain't even aware. This is with the fact that I got a bit, I got a bit, I'm not gonna deny it. Hey, silver fox, I'm not gonna deny it. But I believe I've kept them away by having those rules for myself. So for example, last week I was on annual leave, Thursday, Friday. And I've done my LinkedIn post on the Tuesday. And I sat there and I was like, right, my other LinkedIn post. I said, but I'm on annual leave. I'm on it. So there's my, the two things conflicting. I've said I'm going to do two posts minimum, but I'm also on annual leave. What, what is most important to me right now? The rule that when I'm not at work, I don't, I don't my brand or the work or, not that I don't care, but I don't do I don't do anything to affect that. I just want to be Dan the dad or Dan the brother, or you know, just a, just a normal member of society. Not Dan the director who has to um, be politically be politically correct five days a week between the hours of seven thirty and five thirty. That is a long period of time. Um, so evenings are mine, weekends are mine to just do what I want to do, um, wear my caps, wear my trainers. I've got a trainer collection to die for. I'm one of those kinds of, of guys I like to do. What's your, what's your favorite, what's your favorite trainers? I'm a Nike one. I'm a Nike. I've got red buttons. What's up Jordan? What's up Jordans? Yeah, yeah, I've got some Jordans. I've got Jordans. But, okay, so my daughter, I've got my daughter now into <laughs> God knows why I got her into trainers, man, because all I get now is pictures. Yeah, that this, this. Um, I'm a Nike man, uh, historically. I love, 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 love the TNs. Um, they were my favorite design. Even when I look back to, I don't know if you remember the original blue, blue and yellow ones. I do. Right. So TNs for me, the design, the original colorways are the best. Um, I rebrought them when they come out. I rebrought the OG 92 Hirachis when they came out. Don't know if you remember them, the white, green, and yellow ones. Um, I've still got them. I'm an anything Nike is me. That's me. I, I'm, I'm, I've got uh, shocks. I've got, I've got the frontals. Do you remember the frontals? They were the, they were the summer vibe, though. They were the summer vibe. They were the summer vibe. Yeah, but still. <laughs> the summer vibes. Come on. Come on, man. It's your free month for wear thing, right? I mean, I get to wear it June, July, and August. After that, but, um, but yeah, I got the frontals. That's my they, they, that's my thing. I did go through the whole designer shoe stage, red bottoms, and that is um, Ben Burners. And if I'm honest with you, I find that actually very boring. Um, yeah, I find it very boring. Um, there's only so much spikes that can like travel me, and you know. And there's only so many times I can go to Harvey Nicks and part with that kind of money, walk out and think that. It's a smart investment. Um, it's not a smart investment. It you you don't you hardly wear them. You wear them once every blue moon, and yes, they're nice to have. But I guess everybody values different things, um, and I don't value those things as much as I used to. I did used to, but I don't know. Now I'd rather spend that money on Boohoo Man. Get loads of tracksuits. I'm a dad. I'm a dad. You got to understand. <laughs> You know what? Honestly, I I get it. I say the same thing. My son, my son's now sixteen, so he comes with like he's in that he's in that phase where he wants to spend money on stuff, and I'm like, one, you're not working, so 
if you want to buy something, I have to buy it myself. So you need to go figure that one out. But two, I, I get it. Because I remember when being in his age, head to toe designer. That was a thing. But as I grew older and obviously had a family or that kind of stuff, I was like, this is long. I don't, why am I advertising next man's label? Unless it's in a, unless I've got an investment in the company, I'm good. So let me wear my tractor bombs and just, and just circle easy. So I'm very much like that nowadays. Yeah, I, mate, there's nothing wrong with that. And again, I guess I do it for my daughter because I, I created the beast, if you know what I mean. So my, I take my daughter shopping, Foot Locker, JD, and we walk in and she'll pick something up and I'll be like, yeah, I don't like them. <laughs> I don't like them. I'm not buying them. I'm not buying them. These Jordans look nice. Yeah, I like them, Dad. What about those dunk lows? Oh, yeah, yeah, they're nice. And what my daughter never realised is how good I am at picking her trainers for her because she will look at something in store and then I'll go and get a, a limited edition colorway online, something like that. Um, so that's our thing between me and her, if you know what I mean, our our connection, because I'm not with a, a mother. So we talk a lot, obviously, about school, about work. Um, but then when it's like down to our likes, we, my daughter has my, yeah, it's trainers and comedy. So we watch a lot of, um, I don't know if you know the show Wild and that. Yeah, yeah. So my daughter's 12. She turns 13 in three, four weeks. Um, so yeah, we, 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 we watch that and we laugh and we, we do dances and yeah, we do a lot of that. Now I've never given, for example, the LinkedIn world an insight into my family, my children, who they are, what they look like, you know, um, but I will be, so don't worry. That's dope. Honestly, I love hearing fathers in particular, um, talk about the, the nice things they do with their kids and what's their thing. Um, because it's, I think it's, for me, it's very, it's very special and unique. Um, like with, some, for example, my daughter will go out shopping with, uh, with my wife and I'm like, daddy can come. They're like, my daughter's like, no, daddy's going to be like, you can't wait. Cause I'm very much like, what are you wearing that for? What's the rest of it? Like that's, that's, I'm, I'm old school like that. But then on, and there's other days where the other stuff where we just do and we just sit down and just be busting for a joke. Or on Wednesday mornings, I take it to school. And that ride is just literally us, um, Radio 1 Extra on music in the background and taking stupid Snapchat selfies where I'm just like, I look like an idiot. But she likes it. And that's, that's, and that's our thing. So those little things are what form that bond and relationship, as well as the normal parents and stuff, of course, but. hundred percent. I mean, I'm the dad. I, so growing up or even into my early sort of adulthood, 18, 19, 20, 21, I used to watch my wife and kids. So Michael Kyle, to me, I was like, I want to be a dad like him. <laughs> I want to, I want to give my children a good life. I want to give them good life lessons, but more importantly, I want to laugh with them. Yeah. And with my, with my daughter and my son, uh, my son's only one, but his, his personality is bigger than mine. So watch out world. Well, my, my next LinkedIn post is actually going to be about my kids. Um, and that's going to be on the weekend. So you'll, you'll be able to see, but, um, my daughter, her, her personality is very much, she is another me um and we had i think a really deep heart to heart about five years ago about 
because I I live in Birmingham. She lives um, in an area called Kidderminster, which is probably about twenty miles from Birmingham, but not not in the city. And you know, we were talking about health, well-being, not in that way. She didn't want to do gymnastics anymore. Was bored of dance, and you know, myself and our mom had put her in everything. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? And my daughter wouldn't hurt a fly pay. She's like so soft and gentle and loving and you know she come to me one day and she's like dad I want to do this and she's got my phone and turned it around and it was a, a young American girl absolutely destroying a set of pads boxing set of pads and I remember looking and I was like what like I just didn't you know you don't expect your child to tell you they want to do something that you don't see them doing, but what you see them doing and what they want to do sometimes are two different things. So she was like, yeah, and if I start, Dad, I want you to start because I used to box before. So I was like, all right, then, cool, no problem. You know, at this stage, I wasn't training. I wasn't weightlifting or anything. The belly was growing, but the arms and muscles were. So I was just hoping that she'd forget about it, you know, go off and <laughs> leave me just to put on another few stone. Like, yeah, cheers, babe. But she didn't, eh? Um, I think it was approximately... I'd had her a few more times. And then I think it was in the January of 19, she phoned me up one day. Dad, Dad. I'm like, yeah? She's gone, I've just finished my first Taekwondo lesson. <laughs> uh, oh, I gotta do this. <laughs> I'm accountable to my children more than anybody else in the world. And she, she, she said, now that I've started, <laughs> you've got to start henceforth why I know kickbox. So she started Taekwondo. The day after I started kickboxing, I'm now a purple belt in kickboxing. So I've got two brands and then I'm a black belt. And my daughter's now a black belt in Taekwondo. And that was, but that was born from her. And I think the key lesson for me was when you agree something with your children or collaborative working or partnerships are always better than I'm telling you to do or do as I say, not as I do, yeah? Um, which can be, I, I think when I grow up, when I grow up, my parents were very much a do as I say, not as I do, because we tell you. Whereas I think now um, parenthood is is a bit more collaborative you have to seek to understand before seeking to be understood even with your children certain things are non-negotiables but when your child says i want to fight and you go okay and she's like if i fight you fight and i go okay and i don't expect it and then actually she called him saying i've had my first lessons what about you yeah i need to i need to make sure that i i hold myself accountable and do what we agreed because I'm the first example of a man for my daughter, right? So to me, there's certain things that, like I said, they're non-negotiables. I wouldn't, I would be like, Jayla, my daughter's name is Jayla. I'd say to her, no, absolutely not. I don't agree with that. You're not doing that. However, something that's about your health and well-being, which she took the first step, I, I can't not do what I now do. I can't now. And as long as she continues, I have to continue. <laughs> you change, 
young, it's youth and reason, I love it, and I do enjoy it. But I don't think I would ever have got involved or started or restarted fighting um, for sport if my daughter hadn't. So, yeah. And my son, I'm pretty sure he's going to have some some requirements of me. So my son's one, but he, his personality is so big, Chope. And I actually know he's, he's me unfiltered right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot. Um, he's got a lot to say. He's talking. He's pretty much potty training himself. <laughs> he, tell, he tells us I've had a or whatever. Um, Project Mbappe started. He's got football. Listen, I brought in the house. We've got from my kitchen. I got a center island. So I brought him a car, a little Mercedes thing, and he drives it. But he drives this car like he's Lewis, skids it around the corners and stuff like that. Then I put a mini net, so not even a big net, a mini net in the garden. Balls, he's got bricks, Lego, everything, everything, everything. This kid loves the football and not because I make him kick the ball. He don't throw it, he kicks it, he dribbles the ball, he's one. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait to see what, what comes of this because it was never... Yeah, it was never a want of mine. It was never a, I want my son to play football. It was just, we buy everything, we put it all down and, and let them choose. And he, he loves cars and he loves his football. You might, you might, you might be a taxi driver in the next, the next chapter because they're going to be either taking him back and forth to football, football matches or back and forth around the country for Formula, Formula, Formula One racing. So... <laughs> Local GP or something like that. So I don't, I don't, I don't know. But ultimately, again, there's no expectation on him. And as I said to my daughter, um, I just want you to be the best version of yourself. I want to raise decent human beings. Um, academically, if you're gifted, you're gifted. If you're not, you're not. I just want to make sure that you do your best. Um, and as long as you do your best, when you give a hundred percent, I'm happy with whatever the results are. I'm a big believer in if you're going to do something. Do it, do it properly, or don't do it at all. Start, I'm very, like I said at the start, I'm very black and white. I don't do halves. I don't do, oh, I'm going to start it today and I might pick it up tomorrow or the day. No, no, no. If you're going to do it, do it, do it till completion. Um, and for example, that's something that will be a non negotiable with my children, yeah, as they grow. When they're young, they'll pick up stuff and drop stuff off. But as they grow, I'll be like, right, if you choose to do that, see it through. Yeah, see it through. It's important. Do you extend that same way of thinking to your work staff? I'm, I, again, um, I, I've always run a high-performing team. Uh, we always finish in the black at end of year, net profit, do budget. Um, and so far, I've kept my uh, board happy. My key thing is, if you're not giving me 100% when you're in here earning money, you're drilling holes in my bowl. And I can't have anybody drilling holes in my bowl because that means we all sink. So how do you create the environment that helps people do their best work, just like, for example, you did with your daughter at home and she can hold you accountable, but she's be swore to that that way. 
how to do the same thing at work with with people there with my team i'm very much a coach um so my job title is managing director but i like to coach so i like to quiz i like to delve deeper but i don't like to ever provide the answer i like them to provide the answers to me um and in addition to that i believe that naturally when people are comfortable in their role they can grow to cut corners because they're they're well rehearsed in what it is they do um for me it's about procedures i think if there's like i said earlier rules if there's procedures in place for how you're meant to operate what it means is that you're all working towards the same aims and same goals for the company and whilst you're here personally what you earn is setting up your personal life but the work that you do whilst in this business is for the benefit of this business first and foremost without this business we don't have roles we don't have jobs not here anyway we'd have to go elsewhere for that so my team it, i always start i work budget back so i always tell them what the budget is for the year and then i talk about the journey and how we're going to get there weekly it's the usual the one-to-ones the catch-ups monthly reviews half yearly appraisals so what you trying to capture is as much information um, on your team about whether they're happy in their role, performing their duties, what the market conditions are, because in, for example, what we do, my team are always getting headhunted. If they've been in situ for five to six years, you're not in the situation that long if you're not good at your job, especially in recruitment. So it's something that I have to constantly tap into my guys um, to make sure that they're happy. Um, in addition to that, the company that I work for, their training is second to none. And we don't control the training for the individuals. They choose their training. So if a member of my team wants to become a director, they can do the necessary training to become a director. I can't stop that. Which in previous companies, I'm pretty sure I've had it in previous roles where I wanted something, but it required my line manager to sign it off. Well, technically, that's somebody... You've always got a glass ceiling. With In our company, you very much can be or become what you want to become if you're willing to put the work in, if you're willing to put the effort in. So, yeah, we have a coaching culture, and I believe the coaching culture allows the individuals to bring their best selves to work. When they don't, I, I understand you can't be 100% every day, but I want it majority of the time. I do. I do. I can't afford to not be the best version of myself when in this business as I'm being judged by my team and, and then I'm being judged by our temporary workforce because they look at me as their director. Nobody's judging them. Or they are, but they're not telling them. Yeah? My team are more likely to tell me about something I've done wrong than they would do a colleague because it's me they're looking up to. With their colleague, they'll just think, oh... That person isn't answering the phone as fast, but they won't say it. But when they get me on a one-to-one, they'll say, oh, that person ain't answering the phone. For that. So it's obviously a thought that just doesn't come out, but it comes to me. So, yeah, my big thing is um, we have open meetings, we have open discussion, open forum, um, where we look at um, incremental gains we can make, so uh, changes that we can change in the branch that don't really cost us much, but should improve productivity. So when you include or i for when i when i've included my team in the vision the journey what i would like they can turn up every day and deliver their best 
version of themselves. They can take it on board and make it their own and own it rather than just being something that's out there and it's like, oh, this is arbitrary kind of thing. Yeah, rather than just being a function of a machine, they understand the machine don't work without them. So, yeah, it's, it's important. It sounds like you have a high level of accountability to your team as well, and they can hold you massively accountable, which is not, which is not always the case. I work for them at the end of the day. Um, yes, my job is to deliver uh, profits to uh, our, our larger group. However, on a day-to-day, it's my team members who require my support, my guidance, my knowledge, whatever it may be. Um, so yeah, I'm aware that I'm um, ultimately here to serve them, um, to enable them to achieve whatever it is they want in their careers. I'm very big on building people up um, and seeing them flourish. I want you to get good enough that you can leave me, but you don't. Do you know what I mean? I, I like that. I like to see the development in, in my team. I like to see people enjoy success, enjoy the money that comes with the success. I do. It's a shame that money is such a uh, a big thing in business, but or not a big thing in business, a cherished thing, yeah? Because technically it's what makes the world go around. But I like seeing people earn decent commissions and, yeah, just super... I like seeing people be successful, whatever success that is to them. And as I say to most people, your job, unless you own it, it's a vehicle for you to own your dreams, have your dreams. So, yeah. And that's all I want for anybody who comes into my team or joins our business. You just want them to be successful. This podcast is sponsored by Mindset Shift, a leadership development company focused on helping you lead from the inside out and from the outside in. We work one-on-one with senior leaders in organizations. We work directly with HR and other parts of organizations to help you create an authentic culture where your words and your values and your actions on the line. We help you to navigate the complexity and the chaos that we all experience day in and day out. And we have a couple of openings for the one-to-one coaching this year but that's something that you're interested in if you want to work with a coach who can help you navigate this year to ensure that you're intentional to take your leadership skills personally and professionally to the next level send me an email at hello at mindsetshift.co.uk or just go to website www.mindsetshift.co.uk now let's get back into today's episode fast ask anyone in your team to describe you in three words what do you think they'll say handsome uh <laughs> let me get rid of that one let me get rid of that <laughs> you never know you know do i surprise you <laughs> when you that one like yeah i think they'd say um inspirational i think they'd say uh fun and I think they'd also say knowledgeable, knowledgeable. That's what I think they'd say. Yeah, definitely we've got a knowledge in recruitment and how sort of people work in the recruitment world, um, how hiring managers operate. I, I definitely inspire my team 
and uh, I love to have a laugh. I think having a laugh's funny. You spend more time with these people than you do your actual family, so you'd be enjoyable yet professional. But how do you inject that? Because that, that's something I still think a lot of organizations struggle to do. They have this idea that says professional means straight-laced, boring, no fun, or is it complete opposite? So in your world, especially you guys are on the ground day in, day out, so no, it's not necessarily even a hybrid thing. Like, how do you inject fun into the work that you do? Um, a variety of ways, actually. Um, so I have a, um, I know, do you remember the Wheel of Fortune? Yeah. Yeah, so I've got a Wheel of Fortune in my office with loads of different things on it. I've got quiz books. I've got um, various different listening exercises that I'll stop the team. I'll literally stop my operation dead. And I'll say, right, everyone, phones down, pen up, get your book, get your pads out, A to Z. I want country for every letter and things like that. I just, yeah, I just try and change the day because the days, so our days in recruitment, it's sales. You're always selling, whether I'm selling my services to a client or a role to a candidate, you're always selling. Um, and sometimes what you need is to, to break that up. Um, and the way to break that up is by going out. Um, for example, I will go out, my lunch break, when I come back, walk back in with a bunch of muffins, a bunch of donuts, and I'll be like, right, I'm going to do a quiz. First person to get an answer gets a donut. So it's just, it's not even a, um, it's not rocket science. It's just, what do people like? And what makes people enjoy being around other groups of people? Um, especially if you're talking to other people on the phone the majority of the time. So let's think about it. They're sat in an office amongst these people, but they're talking to other people the majority of the time, not the person next to them. So to get them together, I do quizzes, little giveaways. Um, we have, uh, like I said, the Wheel of Fortune, which there's various different prizes on that. Um, we do nights out, office nights out. In fact, I've got the whole, we've called it the summer soiree. So we've got a soiree at the end of June, which is basically in our office. We will get together. I'll bring my barbecue in. Um, we'll do some meats and get some food cooking on the grill. Um, but we'll do, it's all on a Friday afternoon. So we'll work all day and then I'll finish the guys at about half two, three. And then from that time, we'll just party, have a few drinks uh, for those that do drink. Cause I do have Muslim uh, members of my team who don't drink. Um, yeah. So my, my way of doing it is, is by being inclusive and, and just trying to have as much fun and breaking up the day from the norm what the norm is, try and change that um, every now and then. In addition to that, we have uh, team awards every month. I have a golden box where people can put your name in the box for something you may have done for them. Um, and all of these come out monthly. So it's not just about my praise, it's about peer-to-peer. -peer. Yeah, peer-to-peer -peer as well. I, mean, I think sometimes peer-to-peer -peer is more effective as well, if I'm honest with you. Um, so yeah, we do we do a lot to to get the guys to become engaged in having a laugh, but being professional 
Um, we have now our office TikTok. TikTok is currently fun. Um, I'm sure moving forward, it will become more like we interview on TikTok and tweet soon candidate. But right now, we can do dances and stuff. So, <laughs> copy trends. So, um, that's something that we do, uh, that we've, we've done. And what it does, it just means people can have a laugh and, you know, changes what we were doing for 10, 15 minutes and then right back to work. Um, so, yeah, there are some of the things that I've tried to do. In my team, I give people different sort of champion roles. So I've got someone who looks after our social gatherings and our social settings. So they're important in that aspect. But, you know, people can say, oh, what are we next going out again? And that person has to tell them, it's not me. It's not. It's nothing to do with me. I'm waiting a bit of the time when we're going out too. <laughs> you know, um, so yeah, everybody feels like it's a collaborative approach to us working well together um, and then ultimately delivering the company's aims which is always the end message the end message is listen we're here working for a company we've got to deliver these but let's have fun whilst we do it there's nothing wrong with us being ourselves having a laugh in, and getting to the result so you know everyone knows the the end goal and the how to get to the end goal there's a freeness to, be able to bring you and do you in that way rather than just being like this is the targeted tailored approach which I guess which makes a massive difference. One hundred percent. I think if I had ten robots, it would be lovely because that's what factories. That's how factories work, isn't it? So factories are profitable because you have a person or you have a function. Everyone has one function. But I think in the way business is now, and especially with recruitment, the fact that the the, the candidate market and the way the world has been since the pandemic, my guys have got to be a lot more consultative. So robots would not work in my industry, I don't feel right now. Um, I feel that what you need is that consultative approach where you can talk to a client, not just about their recruitment, but how their business has been impacted or what the business plans are for the next year to two. So I think, I've got that in my team. I'm very lucky that everybody in there is quite established. I've got a trainee um, joining in July, um, and I've got a new person starting next week, but again, very experienced in the recruitment sector. Um, and we can't wait to have them on board because what they're coming in here to do is two separate revenue streams that you've never had before. So if it works and it goes well. Do you ever get nervous about, obviously, AI has been the talk of the town the last couple of months and how's it going to take certain industries over? Why did I mention it's been recruitment? What are your thoughts on it? AI is already pretty much involved, isn't it, in job boards and when we talk about analytics and, you know, it, 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 it's, it's already there. Um, I'm not fearful, not yet. I do believe that there's at least another 10 years in recruitment before it it's implemented to the point where the people are needed. Um, I still think now people buy from people um, and recruitment is about that, isn't it? It's about me being able to identify what you're looking for or the right type of service you're looking for from a recruitment agency rather than me automating what I think you need from a recruitment agency, which is what robots do, is it? Is it not? Yeah. So, yeah, I think, you know, recruitment should be collaborative. I use, I've use i used that word a few times today. 
but recruitment should be it shouldn't be a dictatorship in either in either direction um you mr client need our services we need your business let's talk um it's a two-way it's a two-way street um so yeah i i i i do believe that and um i think robots or ai if you if you want to use the correct term for it takes away that personal approach but as i gave you the example earlier two salesmen come to your house your house to sell you windows you go with the one that you build the rapport with even if he costs more there's nothing in this world that can't be done cheaper than what you're quoted no matter what it is yeah no matter what if you said i want a new pavement or a new driveway for my house sure there's a guy out there that could do for six and he'll do a very good job but there's a guy out there who's not that good he'll offer you for free i'll do it for three grand <laughs> you can go with it but the the results aren't going to be as good so to me it's it's ai has got a long way to go before it fully takes over but i guess we can all see where the world is heading um those amazon amazon have got the the you know the walking warehouse and they've got the robots or robots that serve you so you can all you can my point is you can already see it and you know tesla with the self-driving car or you can it, 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 it it's going in that direction um what the impact on recruitment's going to be i don't know because i feel that no matter what food is always needed and i work in food i work in catering and hospitality 24 7 365 people need feeding always um and someone said yeah if you were to say surely robots could do that i don't know i don't think they could you know i just you know i don't i don't know i don't know who's used to he's to actually have an answer i actually think it's, it's always going to be a mixture of both where the technology will keep on growing but you're always going to need that human element to do certain things like even to some of the nuances that you were talking about like right now it's ai needs data to be fed into it on a consistent basis but there are so many nuances that companies have that individual companies have that you can't just use a one-size-fits-all kind of approach that you're always going to need to talk to people so there's that specialized element that humans are always going to have well hopefully with other technology apart from elon who's trying to build human brains <laughs> he's doing mad madness what's funny i actually i was at a networking event for i don't know if you know tag network i've seen them but yeah right so i was at a tag network event last week um i'm not in any of the pictures because i was late because i was at a grading i was at kickboxing grading so I never turned up till nine. By then, all the pictures had been taken, and I'd like to add all the food had been eaten. But <laughs> but I turned up nonetheless, and um, I actually spoke to a young lawyer who works in AI law. She was she said it was boring. I said boring. No, but I get when I said that, she told me why it was boring. And I guess if you're reading page after page of artificial law <laughs> for robots or ma machines, machinery, then 
it can be boring. But I said, but what that is, is that's where the world's going. So the fact that you're learning it now, won't you be like ahead of the game and one of the leaders in AI law, considering you're doing all the, you're learning everything now. So, you know, when we talk about kill commands and what, what the robot's capable of doing and she's doing all of that. And I was mind blown, like, wow. So I know that we're not far, we're not far from walking down the road and seeing a robot drive our bus. Something, something like that. I'm not putting that far away, but yeah, yeah. It's it, it, it's interesting, but it's not for me. I, the closest I get to AI for robots is PlayStation Five. If I'm honest, <laughs> I'm not gonna sit there. I ain't. I ain't I'm privy to a game of Warzone or two, mate. I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna do that. You know what? You should. Um, I'm not sure they still have it. You should put on your. Have you got Oculus? Just put on your Oculus and do kickboxing with it. That'll be an interesting experience because especially you're you're you've been at it. Yeah. There is. And so what is there is there a kickboxing sort of demo? There's a there's a kickboxing one, yeah, and it's very, very like realistic. Um I did um was a meta thing like last year, some tech event. Okay, I never knew that. And you put it on a you in the environment and you're you're in it. So it'll be interested to see how you fare. Do you know what? I did go to um and I don't know if you know of them. Do you know of Otherworld? Right, Otherworld are a VR space. So very similar to what you say at this meta event where you go, you put a headset on and you put in a, like a, I don't want to call it a, I'm sure it's the size of, probably a bit bigger than a sunbed, but you st you stood up. I've obviously never been on a sunbed. We don't need them. But my point is, my point is, it's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a sphere. And you stand in it. And so you can't, you can't come out of it, but you're given a sort of controller and you're put in a world. But you, you win food and drinks and cause it's a bar. Intrigued? Yeah. Looking up other world. I think they've got a few. They've just opened one in Birmingham. There's some more around the, the country. I'm pretty sure there's some in London and Manchester and Liverpool. And, but that's a VR space that. When you go in, they've got a bar, but you win your drinks by playing games. Oh, man. The world is moving really, really quickly, but it's more reason why you gotta, you got to stay ahead of it or stay with it, at least to understand what's happening around you, which is key. And the time is moving quickly. So last two questions. How do you define leadership? Leading from the front, but willing to stand amongst the team. So for me, I would define leadership as a, I hate using the word collaborative, but a good leader stands amongst his soldiers and goes to battle with his soldiers. So is that, so yeah, I don't think, is that how I would define it or is that what it looks like to me? That's what it looks like to me. How would I define it? I'm trying to think of the right words to say now, Sean Um, I would say, I will say, I define leadership as a role in which you're responsible for the development of others, allowing them to shine whilst ultimately being responsible for the failures of each and every individual of your team 
or your business. That's how I would define leadership. Stressful. <laughs> I mean, I, did you say I had to think about that? Because I'm thinking, there's all these angles, there's all these angles, but what would I define it? How would I, how would I define it? And for me, it is definitely about standing amongst my team, going to battle with my team, hopefully making each individual on my team more successful, but also understanding that I'm responsible for the failures, which is stressful. So yeah, that's how I would define it. But ultimately it's very rewarding um, when you get it right. So I don't think there's any one way to define it. I think there's there's so many there's so many strands to leadership. Um and I think it changes based on your business's performance at the time when you're asked, if that makes sense. If your business is super successful, um leadership to walk in the park, it's easy. Da -da -da -da. If you're three years into making losses, leadership isn't for you. <laughs> I mean, I'm a big football fan. I'm a season ticket holder at Old Trafford. So again, another thing that I do. And um, I don't know if you know football or if it's a thing for you, but also you know a lot about football. <laughs> you know, I don't want to say bottled it, but bottled it. Anyway, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Perfect example of poor leadership, but somebody who's still a leader. Not in my eyes, but in in Gareth Southgate's eyes, Harry Maguire, right? Perfect example. Man U fans, we can't stand him, yeah. But he's our club captain, right? Hardly plays, but gets picked for England every single time. How? And if you ask Gareth Southgate, Gareth Southgate will tell you because he's a great leader. <laughs> so my because he's not a great defender, so it's got to be it's got it's got to be his leadership qualities. But that's that. So that's why I say it's hard to define leadership in, as any one thing. I think it it differs depending on where you sat, what it is you're doing, whether it's a positive uh, leadership appointment or a negative one. But that was I, I thought that was the best example I could quickly give of somebody who's known as a leader um, in his club and in his country, but us fans don't view him as a leader. Yeah, yeah, no one ever, no one ever. Do you know what I mean? He, even, even if I go to you guys, so again, we're going football here, so it's a bit of, away from business, but still very um, relevant. Three years ago, Granite Xhaka was rude. Right. Rude to you guys. Rude. He swore at you, threw his shirt. And, like, he was rude, but he was also your club captain. And what well, that's not a leader. That's But what he can say is, well, at that time, which he has done, he was going through this, he was getting death threats. And, okay, so what? He ultimately became a bad leader. But if he'd won the league this year, he'd have been a good leader. So this is what I say. Leadership can't be defined as any one thing. It's I think it... it it's subjective to where you are at that time when you're asked. I think that I think that's fair. I think that's fair. 
it's, it's it speaks to the complexity of of the word because regardless of leadership always encompasses two things it's either or three things actually it's the individual it's the environment and it's people and not one of those two three things are ever the same so you it's like you said it's a consistent change and going through that but for me it's also the awareness of that and that's why i was asked for that definition because when you have an awareness of what it means to you or what it is that you want it to be then when those three elements are changing you can almost ever flow with that rather than just giving that one thing so that for me is, is quite key and it goes back to then my last one in the you have been very successful in all that you have done, whether it's the role that you have right now, won awards like last year and more sure to come, you know, getting more out there, getting on stage and you're growing. Listen, I'm, I'm speaking into it's coming. It's coming. Don't worry about it. You got, got a couple more awards coming. Don't worry about that. Tonight I'm going to go home and burn some sage. Just say it. For you, what does like that ultimate success look like when you think about the future right so it's funny you actually asked this because i was talking to somebody the other day who's got his own business and i asked him what the end goal looks like i said what does the end look like she like i haven't thought about it i said okay that's interesting so i said so do you plan to run your business until you're 70 which is retirement age and he looked at me like no so do you plan to sell it? Do you plan to give it to your children? It's like, I've not actually thought about that. So I was like, okay, that's interesting. And then he flipped it on me. It is gone, what does the end look like for you? I said, retiring at 45. <laughs> if I can retire at 45, I'll be happy. Not happening. That's seven years away. Um, I think for me, ultimate success would be... Um, I'm very passionate about EDI and I've done the profit making in sales for the last 21 years. Ultimate success for me in the next 10 to 15 years, if I were to see more people like me at my level, whether it was internally in the company that I worked for or externally, but I mentored these individuals, that for me would be success. Um, I don't want to put a monetary value on it because we all make money and we've all got pension pots and we all have investments. If I'm talking about the legacy that I leave behind or what I believe my sole purpose is, if we were to strip it all back, I believe I'm a Samaritan. I believe God put me on this planet to be a Samaritan to help others um, I've done very well in getting to where I've got to based on my ability and I believe that there's more people like me who are overlooked just because of who they are and for me I would like to see more diversity at the top of a lot of the major corporations in the UK that for me is is success and I guess that success for me now, because I've made millions in turnover and I've done hundreds of thousands in net profits. And do you know what I mean? And when you work for a corporate, when you make a lot of money, the reality of it is the following year, the one you to make more. So 
at that success level of I want to make this much money doesn't end because once you achieve it, the bar the bar gets moved. I think having more people like me in senior roles in large corporations or large firms, if I could play a part in that shift, I know I can't change the country, but I can talk more and I can use my voice more and. I can mentor more, I can keynote speak more, I can, I want to, I feel like I want to ignite our people to, to, to reach for the stars. I feel like for me, that's what the ultimate success would be moving forward in my life and my career or my working career. That's what I feel I, I would like to see. And what would make me ride off into the sunset? Very, very happy. Yeah, I've got, again, like I said, Chopin, uh, we can talk about having a pension and that's by the by. I think to ride off into the sunset knowing I left that ladder and there's numerous people climbing up the ladder, that, that, that for me would, 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 yeah. I could retire happily like that. Now, how that works with my current role, I have no idea. I I have no idea. But, yeah, for me, that's what I would like to see. I would like to see that when I'm done. I would like to know that my children can, well, I know what my children can become, but I'd like to know that the barriers to stop them are no longer there. Yeah, I can understand the resonate with that. Some people say, is that all the success you want? Do you know how hard it is to remove these barriers? These barriers are huge. So, yeah, and that that's that's what I mean. It means some things mean more than money. And that means more than money. Sorry to anybody watching who doesn't, who has been like, oh, watched it all for that. And that's how it ends. <laughs> I'm just being honest. But that's the way you talk, though. That's, it's important. It's important to you. Important to you. And everyone needs to have what that version of it is to them. And it's interesting to say that. So I've, in the work I do and having done 140 episodes, various leaders across the world from billionaires, CEOs, creators, founders, whatever. When I, was, when I asked that question around what success is like for them, majority of them, actually all of them, have never described anything to do with money. Yes, it's important. Yes, it's important to have a generation of wealth and legacy, all that kind of stuff. And we've talked about that. But when they talk about the the impact that they want to have, or people who have done the money stuff and moved into stuff that's just purely impact and purpose driven, it is always around, I want to make things better for either for my kids coming up, the next generation, climate change, and those are like the three main things that come up. And actually, so when I was talking about actually, for them, it was actually being a very good parent because they didn't have that model to them and they wanted to break that generational cycle. So parenting, marriage, all that kind of stuff. I'm like, and those are the real deep stuff, which is not easy. Money is still linear in the sense you can map and be like, I want to make X and figure out a way to get there. What you're describing, it is tough as... Because it's been there for forever, how long? So it's not something, it's not an easy mission or purpose to have to say boldly and courageously. So 
That's what I'm like. Actually, you know, it's a very powerful purpose and a very powerful vision statement to have, like, that's what success looks like to me. And I don't know how I'm going to get there, but that's what I want to achieve. It's super important. That's It is, without a shadow of a doubt. And as I said earlier, you know, I grew up in the church. So my role on this planet is as a Samaritan. That's what my role is. If I strip all the money, the job title, if you strip that all away, what's my purpose? I believe that's my purpose. My purpose is to help people and to help others and to lift others up. Because of where we are in the whole ED and I world, um, now, there's more of a, a focus on um, equality or equity um, and, you know, uh, companies showing that they recruit diverse talent. Um, now, I, what I want to see is that diverse talent pushed to the top um, because that I don't believe happens. I do believe that we all recruit and all these companies recruit diversely. But then the question is how many of them promote and push that talent through to the top? Because um, normally to get to the top, it's people that bring you, not HR or personal departments that push you. So, yeah, that 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 needs to change. Thank you, thank you for this interview, which has been very eye-opening. Um, sharing your experiences, a lot of laughter, which I absolutely love. See that joy is just there, is resonating. But this is this is the energy. This is just you, just doing you, and I and I love it. And honestly, I appreciate it, man. So <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. And you know, again, we spoke about sort of what what I do at the at the recent conference, and you know, my LinkedIn. Admittedly, as I put on that day, my LinkedIn is is my Achilles heel. It's the one thing that I avoid, and um, just because cancel culture for me is a very real thing. And I haven't worked as hard as I've worked to be cancelled because I've shared something that was deemed inappropriate or the wrong platform. Uh, so, yeah, but you will see more of me and um, any of your viewers as well. Um, please feel free to add me on LinkedIn, Dan Braithwaite, Sir RP. Um, yeah, because I just aim to be more visible. And, you know, I can be that without breaking the rules on LinkedIn. But I also think it also adds into you think about your mission that you made said you don't know how you're going to get there. Well, a number of things that you're doing now, whether it's the talks that you're going to be doing at the um, Blackbridge Business Week in, in Birmingham in a couple of weeks, or even people seeing you more and recognizing, wow, there, there are young directors in the, the recruitment game who are actually doing it really, really well. Or if you listen to you talk about your team, like, there's so much stuff that people can learn from you. And there's always a debate back and forth, but I still believe that it's hard for people to see something, uh, to be something that they can't see. So the more that people see you, recognize you in the position that you hold and the work that you do, it also encourages other people. And that's the way where you, you think about it enough that you actually start to move that dial and encourage other people to step up into those spaces and places. So by you doing your hard work, you're already doing and moving in the direction of what you said you wanted to achieve. So let's keep on doing it. This is Everyday Leadership. See you next week. While you're still recovering from that amazing conversation, let me give a quick preview of what we got coming up next week. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. Hi, I'm Marilyn Zachauer. 
I'm the founder and CEO of a organizational development consultancy called Cosmic Centaurs. Um, and what we do is we help leaders who truly believe in the power of creating great organizations to unlock um, the capabilities of their people and their companies and deliver on their strategy.